0: The World is Talking. World Talk Radio, Studio A.
1: If Civil War Roundtable sounds like an interesting activity, why not start your own? We'll find out how to do that when we return on Civil War Talk Radio.
0: When I was 12, my father was killed in an industrial accident at a vacant lot where he worked. My mother insisted I stay in the highway on ramp to get an education. So she took a job uh, waiting tables at a parking garage to support us. She worked double shifts. And on her break, she would pick me up from the highway on ramp and drop me off at the big office building. And I'd spend hours and hours just reading books. I remember every Saturday we'd have breakfast at the parking garage. And I'd tell her what I had read. And her eyes would just light up because she knew I'd end up in college, not working at the vacant lot, like my dad. When we lose a historic place, we lose a part of who we are. To learn how you can help protect places in your community, visit NationalTrust.org. History is in our hands. A message brought to you by the National Trust for Historic Preservation and the Ad Council. Hey, y'all. This is Stephen Cochran. As a country artist, I have traveled around this great country of ours, often meeting our brave men and women in uniform. And as a Marine and veteran of both the Iraq and Afghan conflict, I know how important it is to thank our troops who defend our freedom each and every day. One of the best ways to thank them is to give their children and spouses the gift of education. Scholarships for two years, four years, and vocational school. This is exactly what a national charity, Thanks USA, does. Please go to their website, www.thanksusa.org, to make a generous donation to the Thanks USA Scholarship Fund for the families of the troops. And I thank you. Listen. 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 The World is Talking. World Talk Radio, Studio A.
1: Talk radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Matthew Borowick. He's a columnist for the Civil War News and writes about Civil War roundtables around the country. Uh, those organizations that meet uh, to hear speakers uh, present uh, their thoughts and findings and research about the Civil War, uh, to socialize with like-minded people, compare notes, and do other things as well. There are other activities. Uh, Matt, I want to ask about that in just a moment. But you were talking about a memorable presentation you heard from uh, Dr. Richard Latimer some years ago, who uh, was well-known uh, amateur historian and medical doctor who studied the Lincoln assassination, and that uh, put me in mind of the fact that there are also Abraham Lincoln roundtables. This is there's the Abraham Lincoln Civil War Roundtable, which is located in Detroit, Michigan, but there are actual. Uh, a separate movement, the, the Lincoln roundtables where people meet to hear presentations just about Lincoln is there an overlap between these two? Do the same people belong to them both or do these two move in separate barely intersecting worlds uh, scarcely aware of each other's shadowy existence?
0: You know that that's a great question and um, I would imagine that a lot of the people that are look, Abraham Lincoln is a absolutely fascinating character, uh, an absolutely interesting person, and I would imagine that people who have an interest in the Civil War could not help but have an interest in Abraham Lincoln. And just as for many roundtables, members of Civil War roundtables in many cases are also members of reenacting groups. And those two are to use your analogy kind of on parallel tracks, same interest but different purposes different roles in the study of the civil war and i would think with lincoln roundtables focused on the man rather than on the era that you would have a lot of overlap a lot of people whose interest in the civil war transcends into a particular interest about lincoln himself and vice versa But
1: uh, it, it does seem curious to me that, that there are these two groups that are, are so close in interest, yet indeed separate, but there is of course a lot of overlap between the two. Um, you mentioned reenactors. Uh, do roundtables compete with, uh, with reenactment groups, with um, historical societies, with the Sons of Confederate Veterans, or uh, uh, other history-related groups, in terms of trying to find members?
0: I don't think so. I think because Civil War Roundtables clearly have a very broad scope that they can study, but their approach to it is a a different one from those other groups. And, And what I mean by that is clearly the American Civil War was, in my mind, the watershed period in our nation's history. And because of that, there are so many ways to study it there are so many angles to look at it there are so many ways to if you will experience it that there are those who prefer to go to meetings such as at a civil war roundtable and hear a well-known hopefully a well-known well-spoken presenter share his or her knowledge and then to have the member share that with other like-minded members in a almost academic setting Jerry if you will And then others would love the opportunity to, if you will, live the Civil War by becoming reenactors and spending weekends going away and wearing wool uniforms not only in the winter but in the heat of the summer and sharing the camaraderie that comes with that by camping out overnight but also sharing that knowledge not in a classroom-type setting but in an open environment perhaps even where Civil War battles occurred and that's their opportunity to live it by reenacting it but also to share their knowledge with in many cases a younger generation by showing them how heavy a rifle was or how the soldiers cooked their food what kind of food they ate and so on and so i think the two groups in this case say reenactors and roundtables are complementary and That's why I think we see a lot of cross pollination where many times members of reenactment groups, reenactors, are members of Civil War roundtables.
1: Now, if I decide that the the Pender roundtable up in Rocky Mountain is just too far for me to drive half an hour, so I'm going to start one here in Greenville, North Carolina, um, and uh, I decide I'll be my own speaker uh, for the first meeting. put an ad in the paper, declare myself president for life of the Greenville Civil War Roundtable. Um, am I there? You said there's no national organization. I don't have to register with anybody. Uh, can I just start start a roundtable tonight?
0: You know what? I would say that that's what I'm going to call the Jay Jorgensen model of starting a roundtable. Okay. Jay is... a a great friend of mine who started the Robert E. Lee Civil War Roundtable. And, Jerry, that's just about how he went about creating the Robert E. Lee Civil War Roundtable. He reserved a small conference room in the local library, and he posted a couple notices in the local paper saying if you are like-minded about the american civil war and you have an interest in learning more about it join me on such and such a night i think it was back in nineteen ninety-one or ninety-two come out and i'm going to give a presentation on the election of eighteen sixty and sure enough what started with maybe six to ten people who came out to hear about that blossomed into what is now a 120-member organization. We have a Civil War library with over 2,000 volumes of material in it. It's open to the public. We take trips far and wide. We've had well-known speakers come out to visit with us. And we're one of the more well-known roundtables in the Northeast, if not in the country. And it started exactly the way that you had envisioned.
1: Is there another way to start it? That uh, sounds like that's one alternative.
0: You know, roundtables come in all shapes and sizes. One of the articles I did, uh, because it was very close to home here, was we have a Civil War roundtable group that meets here at Seton Hall University. There is a number of people, because the topic is so fascinating, we have a number of people who just anecdotally had talked with each other about the Civil War. And one of the employees, a reenactor, uh, coincidentally, had sent out an email saying, why don't we get together and over lunch, back to what you and I earlier had discussed, sit around a round table and talk about the Battle of Gettysburg. And sure enough, that first lunch attracted about five or six employees. And that group now, about two years later, numbers about 25 or so that get together once a month on campus and sit together for lunch talking about the Civil War. One of the great things about it, not only do you get to share some Civil War knowledge with others, it's a great way to bring employees closer together, people who will have to work together outside of that hour at lunch, and perhaps it promotes a little better camaraderie among fellow employees. So it's got multiple benefits.
1: Then then again, you've got the people who say, you know, Sherman, Forrest, Sherman, Forrest, and then things don't go so well. Uh, Uh,
0: We've had that also. We've had some heated uh, but respectfully differing opinions on some of the topics, yes.
1: Yes. So once the roundtable is formed, you said you can have the model of the the president for life, um, but uh, you you could also, I assume, uh, elect your officers, uh, rotate things, use volunteers. uh, It can be
0: done in any which way. You know, in fact, we do, in our roundtable, we do kid Jay. uh, We called him the benign dictator for life. And it could not have gotten done without Jay. But the thing was, when the group was 12 or so members, Jay could do it all soup to nuts. But as the group grew, it needed to have, if you will, more active support and participation from more members. And it worked out well. In this case, Jay welcomed volunteers stepping up. I took on the newsletter from him. Um, Someone else would go and secure the meeting rooms he would continue to get the speakers someone else would charge dues and so the duties were really split up what that led to was an advisory group so well in that case he still had the title president and by the way no one else really wanted it anyway so it worked out well but he had a group of people who were committed to doing different functions within that separate from that there are groups that will go and have actual elections and so on, so they do that also, where people have term limits, and um, and they do it that way.
1: Now, it, it, putting my lawyer hat on for a minute, if you get a group with you know over a hundred members and people are paying, uh, you know, fifty dollars a year, maybe uh, pretty soon there's a certain amount of money involved. If you're sponsoring things like side events, like trips to battlefields and so on, money starts to change hands. Do many of these groups decide they need to incorporate, uh, become a 501c3 nonprofit organization? Uh, is that common?
0: That is a great question, and the answer is many of them have done exactly that. We did that several years ago ourselves, and what we liked about it was again, it, it represented part of the formal growth of the organization itself. But what it also did, it, it gave us a, a greater level of legitimacy. And what it did also is it allows for some fundraising to go on uh, also as a nonprofit organization. So it had multiple benefits, and it was something that I've seen a number of roundtables do.
1: I mean, I, I think it, it's unfortunate, but in our litigious society, you get any group of people large enough, and uh, pretty soon someone's going to want to sue somebody. And if, if you're Right. Uh, officers are not protected by by corporate organization they can be individually uh responsible for things so so at some point you do need to organize i guess uh even the uh, a, a small group the um well well this i mean there are so many different directions these things can go these, these groups one question that does come up with with study of history in general um is the membership getting older are, are people Uh, many of the guests I have on the show got interested in the Civil War during the centennial from Bruce Canton's book or the... Oh, sure. uh, uh, And that means we're all, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s. How do you get young people into a Civil War Roundtable?
0: You know, that is a challenge for roundtables throughout the world, And, and one of the things that I had written about was precisely that, was recruiting and working with the next generation. You know, Jerry, you hit it right on the head. I know what interested me as a grammar school student I've been uh in love with studying the Civil War since I was in first grade, and I remember carrying around with me the Golden Book of the Civil War, yeah, which was written for you know a, a younger generation and it had wonderful pictures and and drawings in it and I carried that around with me all the time. in fact, I <laughs> still own it and That's what spurred my interest, and it was furthered through family trips to Gettysburg and to Manassas and to Antietam and to other places far and wide. And you're right, though. Just like the population in general, the Roundtable population is graying. And what do we do as current Roundtable members to perpetuate the study of the Civil War and to continue this? And so... I've seen roundtables that have done things like creating scholarship programs, and they will invite local schools, local high schools, to submit essays on various topics. Those essays are judged by members, a a committee of members, and then small financial awards are given out to winning entries with the hope that it spurs and fosters further interest by a younger generation. And that's one of the ways that roundtables have done that. And the other is to work with schools, to bring, again, this is where the reenactors come in, to bring some more tangible, visceral type of Civil War knowledge to them by being able to bring in maybe uniforms or hardtack or some of those things to show students that hands-on what soldiers went through, perhaps also to spur an interest. But it's critical that roundtables do it
1: well it it, it is uh, the internet is yet another avenue that we could uh, explore in terms of both recruiting uh, and and uh, uh, getting both uh, the younger generation and current members. Uh, there are lots of facets to it uh, unfortunately we 're just about out of time as always happens too fast every week but Matt, I want to thank you very much for being on the show, and I want to urge all our listeners to uh, Uh, look up your local Civil War Roundtable. I'm guessing many of you, if not most, already know where it is and uh, have dropped in at a meeting or two. But it's a a really interesting way to uh, hear people live, not just through the Internet or the radio. And I hope everybody will take a chance to explore that. So, Matt, thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Jerry. And listeners, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio.